Welcome to the Effective Teaching Podcast. I am Dan, your host, and today we are talking with Jay McTee. Jay is a very experienced teacher and also a quite a well-known author, Jay. Authored probably about 20 books, I think. Is that right? Well, 17 and two more in the works. Today's episode is episode 63, and this is the first of a three-part series I'm going to do with Jay. Jay, why don't you just quickly introduce you know, where, you're, where you're from and a little bit about what you currently do. Yeah. Hello, uh, Dan and, and listeners. Um, I live in the U.S. I live in Columbia, Maryland, which is on the East Coast uh, between Baltimore and Washington. And I've been in this profession now 49 years, going from teacher to program coordinator to work in state ed and 25 years of work in public education before the book Understanding by Design was published. And somewhat surprisingly, but happily so, it, it took off and I've spent the remaining part of my career uh, writing and consulting with schools, districts, uh, international schools, including 11 trips to Australia. And I've got to say, it's taken off for good reason, mate. It's a, it's a very good book. I, I really like it. It's got a lot of uh, research and strength behind it, which is one of the things that really drew my attention to the whole Understanding by Design framework, which is what we're going to spend our uh, next three episodes uh, doing. And thank you so much for being willing to give up enough time to do you know, the, these three episodes with me. I think it's going to be fantastic. Now, of course, for my listeners, if you want to head over to teacherspd.net slash 63, there is a workbook that will go with this whole series of these videos that I will make sure is nested registered so that you can come and do some PD for free. Just make sure you submit that workbook back at the end. Well, Jay, can you start off by just telling us why would a teacher want to use the Understanding by Design framework? Our framework proposes that a modern education should prepare students to transfer their learning to new situations. But in order to transfer learning, you've got to have an understanding of important ideas and processes. Um, and so the focus of our framework is developing and deepening student understanding so ultimately they can transfer their learning. And if you think about it, we're preparing students today for an increasingly complex, interconnected, uh, and even unpredictable world. And Sadly, the, the pandemic that's gripping the entire world right now as, as we record this podcast was really on nobody's radar a year ago. And yet it has been, at least in our country, uh, the most impactful experience of my lifetime, probably. Um, we, we couldn't teach people for this in most cases. We've had to adapt and figure out things along the way. And so a contention is that the best preparation for such an unpredictable world with new opportunities, but also new challenges, is to equip students to be able to transfer their learning. But again, you can't transfer something that you don't understand. If all you have is rote learning, all you can do is give back what was told you in, in the way it was told. Uh, but transfer requires understanding. So that's the main focus of understanding by design. Yeah, I'm going to say one of the key things I really loved about your book was uh, the first, at least probably the first chapter or two, where it talks about the difference between knowledge and understanding, uh, which I think is, is pivotal. And that's that idea that knowledge is essentially that kind of rote learning thing where you can, a student can repeat back to you what you've told them, whereas your understanding is to be able to take 
the essentials of that and actually apply it into a new context, which I think okay. is, is really key to, to what's going on here. Uh, exactly. So with your understanding of the yeah. framework, can you give us a bit of an idea of, of what it actually is? So in essence, understanding by design is a curriculum planning process involving three stages with a focus on teaching and assessing for understanding and transfer. Yeah, that's, that's a very nice, succinct way of putting that. So today we're going to be spending most of our time looking at the first stage. Mm -hmm. The first stage is all about identifying the desired results, uh, which is where you know, what we're doing here. So what are the key steps to this approach? What, what are you actually, what's included in this? So is, is it just yeah. setting learning goals? Yeah, permit me just to preview all three stages and then I'll come right back to your question yeah. and we'll, we'll stay in stage one. So if you think about three stages of backward design, Stage one is identifying goals, or we call them desired results, you know, the outcomes for learning. The second stage is, in my way of thinking, maybe the heart of this process, because stage two, we're asked to think like assessors and ask a straightforward question. If these are the goals or the, or the results we're after for learning, what evidence of learning, understanding, and transfer do we need? So we think about the assessment evidence before we get to stage three, which is where we plan the learning experiences. Stage three is where day-to-day -day teacher planning falls. This is where we develop our lessons and think about our resources and how much time um, you know, our lessons will take and so forth. But my contention is the best lessons and the best learning will occur when there's Clear, clarity about the goals and the priorities of stage one, but also where we've thought about the assessment evidence in advance. So that's kind of a, a nutshell of all three stages. Now back to stage one. Um, thinking about your goals should be, you know, obvious to anyone planning anything. But in understanding by design, when we ask people to think about their goals or desired results for learning, we're actually looking at you know, arguably four types of goals that are related but not identical. Uh, I'm going to start kind of at the basics. We have knowledge goals, what we want students to know when teaching a given topic. We have skill goals that get at the basic skills for whatever subject or topic is being taught. So we have knowledge and skill objectives. We have understandings which are larger, uh, more abstract ideas, you know, concepts and principles, LES, and processes, things that we want students to really come to understand. Um, and then we have transfer goals that specify what we want students or hope students will be able to do with their learning, applying their learning uh, to new situations. Um, and finally, we could also identify what I might call dispositional goals. Some people call these habits of mind. Um, and these are goals that we also want to cultivate in conjunction with, you know, more traditional academic learning. So habits of mind would be things like open-mindedness, uh, persistence, working, continuing to work, even if, if you're not getting something right away. Um, and so, so these are the goal types that we might consider in understanding by design. The importance of, of both clarifying these and distinguishing among them is because how we learn different types of goals is not identical. 
This impacts how we teach toward them. And these different goal types also demand different kinds of assessment evidence. Um, so I'll be talking more about the assessment evidence and the teaching side a bit later. But to suffice it to say that goal clarity has proven to be one of the most important um, qualities of good teaching and good learning. And so being clear about these different goal types is a big part of UBD. So would you say that you know, when I'm designing, I need to have all different goal types in my unit? I would say for almost all lessons, there are typically knowledge and skill objectives that are, that are foundational. You know, what do we want students to know and be able to do by the end of this uh, unit? There are understanding goals, one or more, quote, bigger ideas that we want students to really come to understand. And then transfer is what we want students to be able to do with their learning. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about transfer uh, a bit later, but, but for right now, let's just think of it as what do you want students to be able to do with what they've learned? Dispositional goals are for me kind of like the backdrop of a, of a play or a movie set. You know, they're, they're in play and some, some habits of mind or some dispositions become more important depending on the content or the skills you're teaching. And so you may not necessarily identify a specific habit or disposition for a unit, but then again, you might. You, you might say, if we're teaching, let's say, argumentation or persuasion, one of the habits we'd like students to be aware of is that someone developing an argument should deliberately consider alternate points of view or different perspectives. That doesn't mean they agree with them, but they should be deliberately wanting to know what other people think or what an opposing viewpoint is. This helps them both better appreciate an issue and it actually serves to strengthen their argument once they have their position down. And so a habit of mind would be a willingness to entertain, actually seek out different points of view, different perspectives, and being open-minded enough to listen to them before you finalize your decision and, you know, propose your argument. Thanks, Janice. That's a really good example. So uh, can you now expand into the other elements of stage one? Yes. So let me start with the understanding um, element and point out one other, one other way of thinking or maybe more of a rationale for, for these elements in UBD. Um, I have worked with educators literally all over the world, and there is one common problem I see in every country, and I, I trust that it uh, will be evident to listeners uh, in Australia as well as other places. There's typically too much content and not enough time to teach it all. And when I look at Australian national curriculum or the state versions of the curriculum in Australia, and certainly in the States and in Canada and in Britain and other places, the, the standards or outcomes that have been generated um, are typically ambitious. And in some subjects like science and history, by definition, the, the knowledge base of the subject is growing daily. And yet our time with students is fixed. We've also seen over the years things added to the curriculum from outside, 
whether it's social emotional learning or drug and alcohol awareness or any number of important things that society says schools should teach. But in my, my many years of education, we rarely take anything out of the curriculum. And so this, this is a quintessential challenge for teachers. It's compounded when you have students who may be quote behind what the grade level expectations are. And so, you know, teachers with, with kids who are behind have to kind of catch them up and yet they're responsible for a huge volume of content material. And so one of the big ideas in understanding by design is that it brings a, a, a prioritizing lens to the table. And, and, our, and we argue, in fact, that our goal is not to cover every bit of content that might be in a textbook or might be in a set of outcomes or standard document. Rather, our goal should be equipping students to be able to use what they've learned in new and, um, and effective ways. And so the focus is on transfer and the, the big ideas that will help students understand and apply that, that learning. Okay. So um, where do things like essential questions fall into that? Yeah. So let me comment on, on both the understandings and essential questions now in more, in more detail. So when we ask people to think about the understandings for a unit of study, the question essentially is, what are the big ideas? And these are typically in the form of transferable concepts, principles, or processes. Processes like problem solving, writing, historical interpretation, research, or the creative processes of the arts. Um, and so we identify what students will need to understand in order to use these ideas or these processes effectively. Um, the essential question then, I like to think of as two sides of a coin. If the understanding is what you want students to come to and really grasp at some point, the essential questions are meant to be a vehicle to, by exploring an essential question, the goal is to develop and deepen students' understanding of associated topics. And so think of them as two sides of a coin. Let me give you a couple of examples to try to make this a little more concrete. I'll start with a elementary primary grade example. There's a, a, a famous children's story that at least is famous in the US and the title of it is Frog and Toad Are Friends. And it's a series of stories about these two uh, animals that, that have a, a, a relationship and, and so on. Um, and I worked with some grade one teachers who teach that story, and they were using understanding by design as their framework. And after thinking about it for a while, the essential question that they wanted to use was, who is a true friend and how will you know that? And so they use that as an essential question. So as the kids were reading the story, the story title says they're about, they are friends, but there were parts of the story where the friendship was tested. And one of the understandings that teachers were looking toward was the understanding that a true friend is someone who will stay with you when times are tough. And they even use the, the, the idea of a fair weather friend, maybe be around when things are good, but then when things get tough, they'll leave, they, they won't stay with you. So 
the essential question, who is a true friend and how will you know, was a lens for reading the story and more generally thinking about friendship. So the kids would come to the understanding that a, that a true friend is not just someone you like to hang with and they have good toys. They're um, someone that will stick with you. Um, permit me to give you a, a secondary example. Here's one of my favorites. How do you know what to believe in what you see, hear, or read? To me, that's an essential question that gets essentially at the heart of critical thinking. And you can apply it in history, uh, a related essential question, whose story is this? Putting those two questions together helps kids, un students understand that history is his story and her story. That, that history is basically someone's story or interpretation of past events. And in fact, if you really want to understand the past, you need to deliberately look to or listen for different stories, different perspectives. And so the questions, how do you know what to believe and whose story is it, sets up automatically the idea that you need to be a critical thinker and viewer, um, whether it's of history or of science or today, especially today, current events as conspiracy theories and fake news seem to populate social media. Um, so the questions open the doorway to understanding. And when you apply the questions to different situations, different texts, different um, experiences, they're a, they're a vehicle for going deeper. Yeah. yeah. I also found that when I use them in my classroom, that the essential questions also help me as a teacher to constantly come back. Uh, particularly if I'm going to start having students do any kind of inquiry-based learning, it help, it's good for them too to go, you know, how is that actually relating to our big, you know, essential question here? Let's come back to that. Or, you know, I know you can have sub-questions too within that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more then about how this approach actually helps students to become self-sufficient in their learning? So in terms of self-directed learning, um, permit me to run that through UBD, right? To, to say that we want students to become self-directed learners, to me is a perfect example of a transfer goal. And it's not just for an individual teacher. I would say that should be a school goal that we wanna build student capacity to become increasingly self-directed. And so if we were planning a, a, a unit or a course or even a program, Self-directed learning would be one of those big long-term goals. Now let's plan backward from that and ask the question, well, what will students need to understand about being a self-directed learner? What essential questions can spark the, the development of those skills? And then what particular skills will help them do that? So, you know, arguably, the answer to those questions would be somewhat dependent on the age and experience of the students. But let me just offer some gen general um, thoughts. If we want students to be self-directed learners, there are understandings that they would need to acquire, such as a self-directed learner is able to formulate their own learning goals rather than waiting only for the teacher to tell them what the goals are. A self-directed learner 
is able to find information that they need to achieve a goal, again, rather than being spoon-fed. And if, this, if the learner is going out to find information, they also need to be able to critically appraise it because just because it's in a book or on Wikipedia or in some website they locate, it doesn't mean it's complete, true, or unbiased. So a self-directed learner is a critical thinker about information. Critical thinkers or self-directed learners also need to act on information. And rather than waiting for the teacher to tell them what to do each step of the way, self-directed learner is better able to chart a, pl a plan or a pathway, enact that, and monitor their progress along the way. Again, rather than waiting for the teacher to tell them that they're on the right path or wrong, they need to be more um, self-directed in that regard. Another dimension of a self-directed learner is they act actively seek feedback, whether it's from teacher, parent, peers, but feedback is helpful and um, self-directed learners recognize that and seek it. Self-directed learners also are very good at self-assessing. So they have a goal, they're working toward that, but they're monitoring how well things are, are working. And invariably, when you're trying to learn something new or do something hard, you're not perfect. And so you have to self-adjust based on feedback and based on ongoing monitoring of your progress. And finally, I would say a self-directed learner is one who once they've arrived, if you will, they reflect on the learning experience, they recognize mistakes they've made and they learn from them, and then they're better able to set new goals and, and proceed uh, increasingly in self-directedness. And my argument uh, about that as, a, as an important goal is that the nature of our world is such that we're not going to learn everything we need in school. Um, there are things you're interested in that may not be in the curriculum. And when you get out of school, there will be jobs that we can't predict today that you will uh, perhaps encounter. And so the ability to self-direct uh, is, is to me a basic skill of a modern education. And so if a teacher is just getting started with this, I know it's generally designed to be used as you're you know, creating a whole, a whole unit, but there are aspects of this that you could easily apply, you know, just this week, for example, uh, so what could one of our listeners do this week to start getting these kind of uh, ideas rolling into what they're doing with their teaching and learning? Yeah, one tip. Frame your unit as a concept around a conceptual idea. Then you can, that, that you can build the understandings from that. Then the second tip would be turn that into an essential question, one or more. So who is... Who is a true friend and how will we know? Why is proper technique important? Or what does it mean to have proper technique? Could be your essential question. Um, that's, that would be my tip for just getting started. Cool. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we've finished this week, but uh, it's really been great to learn more about that first stage of the unit design, sorry, understanding by design framework and how to use it, uh, particularly to start thinking about our learning intentions and what, we're, what our desired results are with our, our learning with our, for our students. Obviously, you've got a few books, so if our listeners want to head over to teacherspd.net slash 63 
I'll have some links to Jay's books and to his website. There's also a white paper that I'll put up there that you can grab. Uh, and of course, don't forget to grab the workbook to go with the whole series and make sure that you come back next week when I'm going to be talking with Jay all about the evidence of learning or how to determine the evidence of learning.